Good evening. Thank you for coming back tonight. Appreciate everyone who participated in our service this evening. Tonight we continue our studies on the attributes of God, looking at the goodness of God. Uh, I am making myself uh, try to stick to two uh, evenings uh, per attribute. I'm not guaranteeing that I will always abide by that, but I'm trying hard to be disciplined and just look at each attribute uh, doing uh, two Sunday nights. So tonight is part two of the goodness of God. You will see the introduction that states in Matthew 7:18, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. It's Jesus teaching on how to be able to ascertain a true disciple from a false disciple. Uh, One that is good is going to bear good fruit. One that is bad is going to produce bad fruit. Thus, if God is good, it means he must do good. He must bear good fruit. 1 Timothy 4.4 For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. So tonight we look at the goodness of God. And we begin by looking at the goodness of God in creation. First, all that God made was good. Genesis 1-4, and God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Now I just chose the first, but we could look at each of the creative days and see that God pronounced each one of them as good. And then, in a final declaration, when the days of creation had ended, God pronounced that everything that he made was good. And God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening in the morning, the sixth day. So, God looked at all of his creation, all that he had done, and declared that it was very good. Good. Next, God was good to mankind and placing him in dominion over all other creatures. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God was especially good to mankind in making man and woman in his image. Genesis 1.27 And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When it's speaking of the image, it's not talking about the physical attributes and characteristics of mankind. But rather, it is talking about the character of man. And we are made in like character with God. Thus, we talked about communicable and incommunicable attributes. The communicable attributes are those attributes that we have like God. Uh, Not in their fullest extent, to be sure. For example, knowledge. We possess knowledge. We don't possess the knowledge that God possesses, but yet we possess knowledge. That's a communicable attribute. An incommunicable attribute would be omnipresence. Uh, We can't be everywhere at the same time. God can be. That's an incommunicable attribute. But the communicable attributes are a tangible way in which we are made in the image of God. And then beyond that, the image of God was seen in relationship. And that's why mankind had to be made male and female. 
in order to bear the image of God, a triune God who relates to each other, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be made in God's image, we had to be a relational being. And uh, God did that by making us both man and woman. And of course, in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the wife of God. In the New Testament, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 5 that the uh, marriage is to reflect the relationship of Christ in the church. So that marriage is to be reflective of the kind of relationship that exists uh, in the Trinity itself. And then the third way in which we're created in the image of God is that we're given dominion. God rules. And then God made us vice regents, vice rulers, uh, to rule over this earth and to have dominion. And so God is good to us in making us in His image. Then God was good in putting forth threatenings to warn man against disobedience. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, From every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. That's the goodness of God. That He revealed to us consequences of what was to happen in disobedience. God sought to dissuade us from being disobedient to Himself. Now here's the one that isn't thought of a great deal. And so I want to pause on F. God did not put forth a reward for obedience, for there was no greater good for mankind to experience. You see, God put forth a warning for disobeying Him. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you will eat thereof, you will die. Now, that's, that's the threat. That's the warning. That's the negative. If you do this, this will happen. There's no positive reinforcement to, if you don't eat, you'll get this. There is no positive enticement. There's no positive statement that you don't eat and look at what you are going to have. And the reason is because there wasn't anything better to have. There was nothing to hold out to mankind as something more wonderful than they already were experiencing. They were already in the presence of God. They were already friends of God. He already visited with them. He already walked with them in the cool of the day. They already had a blessed state. Revelation 2.7 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the Bible holds out for us a future that is borrowing the title of the movie, Back to the Future. The future is actually going back to a pre-fallen state in which we are in a Garden of Eden again, a paradise in which there is the tree of life again, just as it was uh, in uh, the Garden of Eden. So, number one, thus, 
In obeying God's command, mankind would not have benefited more, for there was no more to benefit. In mankind's disobedience, he lost a portion of that good which he presently enjoyed. If mankind continues in disobedience, he will lose still more, and ultimately all the good that he presently enjoys. So mankind, by disobeying God, robbed himself and robbed us of some of the good. None of us knows the experience of Adam and Eve in a pre-fallen state. We don't know what that was like. We lost out on some of God's good. In our disobedience, we lose out on the good that God has for us now. By disobeying Him, we are choosing for ourselves that which is not good. That which doesn't lead to satisfaction. That which doesn't lead to hope. That which does not lead to joy. So the more disobedient we are, the more of God's goodness we forfeit. And if we stay in an unrepentant state, and ultimately die without having been reconciled to God, we forfeit all the good. And then we are banished completely from the presence of God. No one who is alive today has ever experienced the total abandonment of God. Only one person has ever experienced that, and that is Jesus Christ, as he hung upon the cross, and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even an unfallen mankind has vestiges of the presence of God in this world. He experiences some of God's goodness. As we look on, uh, we think about the fact that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Mankind experiences some of the vestiges of the presence of God. But ultimately, that will be totally forfeited. God will restore that goodness to us that has been lost. Now, I I want to mitigate a statement that I made. I want to back off from it just a hair in saying that, number one, in obeying God's command, uh, mankind would not have benefited more for there was no more to benefit. Um, you get into some theological hair splitting in this discussion. So let me split a couple of the hairs with you. And that is that God's plan is good. So there is reason for the fall. There's reason for all that has taken place. A sovereign God Did not step aside. So in that sense, it is good. But but we need to remember that there is a trajectory. There there is an end goal. There in a touchdown analogy, we are we are heading for the end zone. And right now we're on the fifty yard line. We're in the New Testament. So we're on the fifty first yard line. And we're heading for the end zone. Well, when we die and we go to heaven, that's not touchdown. That's, that, that's not the end zone. That's the 75-yard line. 
Okay. You've got to remember, heaven isn't the end. We're still in a disembodied state. When a person dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's not the ultimate good that God has for us. He did not create us to be a disembodied spirit. He created us to have bodies. That's not the end. Heaven is not the end. Okay? There's something better. That's the resurrection. The resurrection is better. That's a better state to be in. And then, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. What is that new heaven and new earth like? You will look in vain in the scriptures to find anything other than references to the paradise of God. What the new heavens and new earth is, is going back to a pre-fallen state. I think that's the, the best understanding of what our day is going to be like. What our eternal future is going to be. It's not a disembodied state floating around in the heavens. I don't want to diminish that, but I'm just saying that's not the ultimate goal. That's not the touchdown. The touchdown is resurrection and a new heaven and a new earth. And where I talked about the splitting of the hairs, there are theologians that would teach us, and I can understand why, but they would teach us that, that it is better that we have experienced the fall because now we know more about our relationship to God. That is true to a degree, okay? Because it is better or God wouldn't have done it. But, 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 the goodness of God is a restoration of the pre-fallen state of being in His presence forever and ever, living as He intended us to live. Living as He intended us to live. How do we know that? answer is Isaiah chapter 66. that says that when we are in the new heaven and new earth, that the former things are passed away. And then the key phrase, and we will, you know what it says? We will what? Not remember them any longer. We, when we are in the new heaven and new earth, will have no awareness and no consciousness of this life. That's not true when we're in heaven. That's not true at that point. And people... And I know, you know, they, they read the verses and they say, now there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more... But, that's taken totally out of context and it's not talking about heaven, it's talking about a future time. It's talking about a resurrection. Okay? That's out of context. That's at the end of the book. That's in Revelation uh, chapter 21. Right now, people remember this earth. Right now, people are cognizant of what's going on. And there's going to be a judgment that's going to take place. And that judgment is meaningless without a remembering of what happened on this earth. You're going to be rewarded for what you've done on this earth. You're going to remember. You're going to be, or those who are unregenerate are going to be punished for what was done 
on this earth. They're going to remember. There needs to be remembrance. But one day, there will be no more remembrance. That's the goodness of God. And that's taking us back to what God had created us for. So now, we find that it is the goodness of God that banned man from eating of the tree of life. Remember that God cast mankind out of the garden and put angelic beings in guard of the tree of life so that no one would eat of it. Why? So that mankind would not spend eternity in a fallen state. It is the goodness of God that He did not let us live forever in the consequences of our sinfulness. He banned the tree of life in order to provide for us an eternal life of bliss and joy and fellowship with Him that was going to have to be accomplished through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. G. Mankind was and is deceived in its perception of what is good. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not die, for God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, which it was not, but that's how she perceived it, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also her husband with her, and he ate. So that which she saw was good, obviously was not good. It was to her harm, it was to her detriment, and to Adam's. But that is the crux of man's sinfulness in terms of what is the problem that we have with sin, and that is that we have no conception of what is good and what is bad. So, number one, it is sin to fail to recognize the goodness of God and instead to see Him as depriving us of that which is good. Satan holds out that this tree is good. God says, it's not good for you to eat of this tree. Well, she believes the evil one. And that is the ongoing struggle that each of us has every single day in relating to the Word of God. The Bible teaches us one thing. And in our natural being, our natural tendency is to reject what God teaches us as being good, and we think there's a better way. That's why mankind sins. They, they think they are going to be happier. They think that they're going to be better off. They think that this is the wise thing to do, when in fact it, not, it is not. So the mankind in general thinks that he or she wants what is good, but errs in rejecting God's revelation as to what is good. Genesis 3.22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, we look at that and we say, isn't that exactly what Satan said? Well, as Satan is a 
deceiver. He told the partial truth. But mankind was not like God. Mankind was like God in the sense that he rose to the place of putting himself in, in place of God. In defining for himself right and wrong rather than accepting what God said was right or wrong. Defining for himself what was pleasurable. Defining for himself what is best rather than to receive God. But there's another sense in which mankind learns about God and uh, good and evil. And that is an experiential knowledge. We'll get to God's knowledge. And we'll start pretty simple. And just in two weeks, I'm going to try to delve into some of, of the experiential knowledge of God. But God has no experiential knowledge of evil. He has never done evil. He has an experiential knowledge of good. He knows good in the terms of experience. He doesn't know evil in the terms of experience. We have an experiential knowledge of evil. We don't have an experiential knowledge of good. We don't know good. We haven't lived in a good world. We haven't been involved with good people. Not like it's going to be. And the scripture says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for him. We don't have an inkling of how much better life is going to be when there is no sin in this world. Because we've never experienced it. What we've experienced is a knowledge of evil. Every day, we are learning what it means to live a life separated from the goodness that God had created us to experience. But one day, that's all going to change. H. God did and does good. Uh, God did and does good in continuing to provide rain for us, which bears witness to His goodness in creation. Acts fourteen seventeen. And yet He did not leave Himself without witness, and that He did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Matthew 5.45, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now here the evil and the good are believer and unbeliever, regenerate and unregenerate. And the Bible says that God is good because the, the, the sun shines. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. And the rain falls. On the righteous and the unrighteous. That is the goodness of God. That is the goodness of God. The goodness of God is seen in redemption. God was good in giving us the law. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and now these words, and good. 
Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. So God was good in giving us the law. The law came long after the fall. The law that is referred to here are the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were never given as a means of meriting eternal life. There is not salvation by works in the Old Testament and salvation by grace in the New Testament. The law was never given as an instrument by which you and I could earn our salvation. It was never given as an instrument by which the Old Testament saints could earn salvation. That's why we had to have the sacrificial system. That predates the law. Animals were being sacrificed in the time of Job. Job lived long before uh, the law. The law was given not to show us how to inherit eternal life. The law was given to show us how fall, how we have fallen short of what God expects of us. The law was given to show us our need. The law was given to drive us to, to God and seek His forgiveness. B, God is good in providing us with the message of salvation. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all the people. For today in the city of David there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God is good in giving us the message of salvation. To be able to declare to a fallen world the message that a Savior has come. And to call upon all people everywhere to repent. We have a message to take to every single human being on the face of this earth. It is not our job, it's not our responsibility, and it is irrelevant to us as we share the gospel who the elect are. It is our privilege to take a gospel to every single human being and tell them they need to repent and to offer them the real and true hope that if they repent, they will be born again and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. All of which is true for every single human being on the face of this earth. That's the goodness of God. That we have a message to take to a fallen world. See, God is good in bringing us to a place of repentance. Or despise the style the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. This goes hand in hand with what I preached on this morning, and that is, well, that which is perceived as weakness. This is the goodness of God that he forbears with people. It's the goodness of God that he doesn't strike a person down immediately. It's the goodness of God that he allows people to live 70, 80 years and experience the rain falling on the just and the unjust. It's all in order to lead people to a place of repentance. We wonder why so many good things happen to bad people. And the answer is, it's the goodness of God leading to repentance. But unfortunately, fallen and unregenerate mankind does not give thanks, does not accept, does not acknowledge the goodness of God. Just as we talked about this morning, how unrepentant people don't acknowledge the goodness 
that was demonstrated, for example, in the life of the Apostle Paul as he forbore with people. Next, the, good, the entire process whereby God saves us is depicted as good. For I'm confident in this very thing, that he will begin a good work and you will, you will perform it today of Jesus Christ. Our coming to Christ is just the beginning of all the good that God is going to bestow upon us. Including, which I referred to, ultimately, the new heaven and new earth. We're on a, we're on a road. And God is giving us His goodness. And He started us on that road. And He's going to bring us to the destination. We will experience all the good that He has for us. God is good in the purpose for which He saved us. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed. And purify for Himself a people of His own possession zealous of good deeds. God saved us to do good. To be His image bearer. To show kindness to the lost. To seek to minimize the effects of the curse. To provide those that have no food with food. And the very kinds of things that we talked about this morning. And one of those important important gestures, and I use gestures in quote, because it's more than just a symbolic act. It really is important. And I'm so delighted that one of the ministries is that we're taking uh, presents to the children of incarcerated individuals. For the book of James tells us that one of the signs of being a child of God is that we care for the Widows, we care for the orphans, and we care for those who are in prison. You are caring for people who are experiencing the dreadful consequences of a fall. And that's our responsibility, to do good deeds. Three, God is good in dealing with His people. God is good in the way that He answers prayer. Matthew 7, 9, 10, 11. Or what man is there among you, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give you what is good to those who ask Him? Okay, we would not be good parents if we let our children play in the streets. We would not be good parents every time we ask our children, our children ask us for things that would prove to be harmful for them. We understand that. We have no problem in saying no to our children for things that would not be to their benefit or to be their best interest, even though they don't see it, even though they don't know it, even though they may come to us in tears, wanting it desperately. We will withhold it for them because they don't understand that it is not for their good. Likewise, our Heavenly Father is good in saying no to us. In the request that He doesn't grant. He does not answer. And two or three weeks ago, we were in Corinthians where Paul is praying for a thorn to be removed. A a physical ailment. And God said no. Because it was for the good of the Apostle Paul. And by the grace of God, he came to recognize it 
as good. We grow leaps and bounds when we begin to praise and thank God for the prayer requests that He has not granted us. That's when we really come to a place of acknowledging the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and how superior He is to us that we are willing to relinquish making these decisions for ourselves as to what is good and what is bad. There's so much more that can be said there. But going on, God is good in equipping us for service. And God is able to make all grace abound to you and always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen yourselves in every good work and every word. God has equipped us with everything we need to do the good for which He saved us. Um, God doesn't just tell us to do it. He equips us to do it. He enables us to do it. God is good in His discipline of us. Hebrews 12.10 For they, referring to our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time it seemed best to them, but, his disciples, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. The uh, Sometimes, in our discipline of our children, we are selfish. Sometimes, in our discipline of our children, uh, we make mistakes. But God is not selfish in His discipline of us, and God never makes any mistakes. And God is good in disciplining us, even as we are good in disciplining our children. For it is to their, their best interest. It's to help them. It's to guard them. It's to keep them. And then lastly, God is good in the sovereign care over us. James 1.17 Every good... Every good thing bestowed in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With Him there is no variation or shifting shadow. Uh, It's a poetic way of saying God doesn't turn. Uh, God doesn't blow in the breeze. God doesn't cast a shadow. God is always head on in doing what is good. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Our lives, ultimately, sin and all, is going to accomplish the good for which He has saved us. He can take a mess and cause it to turn out for good. And all you have to do is sit and contemplate Redemptive history. Redemptive history. Think from the time of the fall to the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. All the detours, all the deviations, all the sin, all the patriarchs, all of the things. But understand the big picture. And how it all leads up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And the genealogies are given for many reasons, but one of them is to trace the lineage all the way back to Adam, where God was at work in saving a people to accomplish His good and His purpose in sending His Son. And God continues in this redemptive work right up until the establishment of 
of this new heaven and new earth, God is causing all things to work together for His good. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to trust in Your goodness, to rejoice in Your goodness, to see Your goodness, and to experience more of Your goodness in the sense of not entering into disobedience, not rejecting the instruction of Your Word, not forfeiting the blessings that we can know now by accepting, welcoming, relishing Your rule over our lives. We look forward to a time in which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. O God, in one light we long for the reign of Jesus Christ. And then mind-boggling, we reject that reign so often. We rebel against You. We want to be rulers of our own lives. Rulers of our own destiny. We don't want to submit time and time again to what Your Word teaches. Oh Lord, help us to see that inconsistency. Help us to recognize the sinfulness of that. And how much of the blessedness and joy that we forfeit in our lives when we don't willingly acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ each and every moment. Oh God, preserve us and keep us to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.